Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Kunil Mahindra, is an award-winning member of the RAIN community where he loves to give back and inspire others to invest in real estate. And to that end, he's also the host of the Edmonton Real Estate Mastermind Group. He's a pharmacist who was born and raised in India, but moved to Canada in 2009 as a student and went to Halifax to complete his master's in health informatics. Kunal is currently working on a project to implement a provincial computer system, which will have a massive impact on healthcare delivery in Alberta. Now, Kunal started out as a fix and flip investor in 2016, and he's now focused on helping busy people unlock the potential of real estate by investing in legally suited properties in Edmonton. He is the founder and CEO of Divergent Homes, which is a business that's transacted well over $7 million in real estate. And when he's not in real estate, when he's not being a pharmacist, Kunal's a passionate husband and a super dad to two lovely daughters who fuel his commitment to creating a life by design. And he aspires to be an enthusiastic life coach to his children. Listen in as Kunal and I discuss a broad range of topics and the journey to the success that Kunal enjoys today. Kunal Mahindra, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Great to have you on the show, man. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me here. It's a true honor to be here. Yeah, well, listen, I'm excited about this conversation for a couple of reasons. Number one, you immigrated to Canada. You are working, you've got a full-time job, but you're quite an accomplished 
real estate investor in spite of all of that. You've done, you know, you've you've taken on real estate investing. You've made your you're you're making your mark here in Canada, which I just think is always awesome. And uh, I think people can learn a lot from your journey, from your experience. And of course, that's what uh, the show's always about. You know, seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary, and you certainly uh, land in that camp with both feet. So, you know, the best thing for us to start the show is always around, you know, if you had a little elevator speech or a little pitch, somebody says, so, Kunal, who are you? What do you do? Do you have kind of a, a narrative around that? Yes, I've been uh, recently uh, working on an elevator speech, just short, brief, you know, to tell people what I do in a, you know, two sentences, basically. Mm -hmm. So here's what I go with. Uh, I'm a pharmacist and a passionate real estate investor. And right now I'm focused on helping busy people uh, get into uh, real estate investing. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, first off, how did you, now you immigrated from India. Did, were, mm -hmm. were you in the world of real estate when you before you came to Canada? What was your give me a little bit of your background around real estate? And, and I also want to talk a little bit about your education, but we digress. Let's go back to the real estate question first. Uh, did you have an interest before you came to Canada or how did you get into the world of real estate? It's a longer story, but I'll I'll kind of give we got you a time, skinny buddy. On. That's why you're here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. The biggest motivation, like the fork in the road kind of thing, for me was money. You know, we um, we bought our first house, and we you know found out as soon as we moved into this first house, we got pregnant, and I knew that with pregnancy, you know, my my wife was going to be on maternity leave, so all that kind of you know forward thinking was kicking in. I had the stable job at the moment, and. Uh, you know, being first-time parents, you try to get everything for your kid before the, even the kid is born. So I think that whole thing of like, you know, spending, 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 and we exhausted pretty much all of our savings. So that's where the entrepreneur kind of bug started to rise a little bit. And then, you know, I explored, someone reached out to me and he said, I want to start a tech support company. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm looking for something on the side. So let's start that. So we started a little tech support company, which was basically a call center where we we're helping people with computer issues. You know, I initially put in the work, I set it up. And it was making some coin, but it wasn't busy enough. So I was like, maybe I can do some more. Uh, so that's when I started exploring flipping cars. I, you know, would buy something off of Kijiji and um, buy something that needs a little bit of work, whether it needs a new windshield or has a, you know, a dent or something that's wrong with it that I can easily get it fixed. I'm not handy at all. As I earlier mentioned, I'm a pharmacist, so like I don't, I don't work. Too much with my hands. Now, was this was this was the, was this part of your journey? Was this in? Were you in Canada at this point, or were you still back? This, is, you still all, this is all in Canada. Yeah. Okay. So I think uh, maybe we, if it's okay, we could go back to you know my Please. journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I came into Canada as a student in 2009, and. Uh, you know, my mantra in life was get the most amount of education as much as possible so that I can get a kickstart. So um, came in as a student, did my master's, um, and then I was like, okay, now like, you know, let's look for a job. It took me a good three to four months to find a decent job that I was happy with. And once I did find, that's when I first moved to Edmonton. Now, fast forward from having a job to two, three years, I would say that's when we we're, you know, pregnant and like expecting a baby. And now we connect back to the story where I'm like feeling like my 
savings are drying up pretty mm-hmm. quick and we definitely need to do something. And I need to do something because wife's going to be pregnant and taking care of the baby. Now, <laughs> so was, your, was your wife working at the time as well? Were you, you, so it was a, you know, double income kind of thing at that time. That's right. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. But I could, you know, foresee what we're getting into. It was sure. a contract position, which you wouldn't get back right away. There, there's going to be a lag. I knew that. And, you know, um, as first-time parents, you just want everything possible for your kid. So uh, that's the real kicker, the real motivation to get into becoming an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, after flipping cars and doing the tech support, I wasn't getting what I was looking for. And every book or everything I get my hands on has something to do with real estate. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I really need to get into real estate and learn more about it. And of course, when you want to learn, you look for avenues. Like I I start uh, talking to people and find out that there's a seminar in the city. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll show up and see what it's about. And next thing I know, I become a bit of a seminar junkie. I I mean it in a good way and a bad way. Because what the bad was that it got me into $40,000 in debt, Mm. which now I'm going to get super vulnerable. It it took a toll on my marriage too, mm-hmm. with a brand new baby and all that debt that we I took on. I was just looking for answers and I felt like I could keep going to these seminars and keep bringing my credit card out to get the information and then I'll, I'll get it. No. So was the, were those seminars, were those those uh, kind of run to the back of the room by coaching program kind of seminars that you're Correct. talking about? Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. Correct. And, you know, no offense, but most of them, most of the even information was all U.S. focused. Yeah. And it was hard to apply that. But I guess for me, in a, now let's get to the good part. The good part for me was it helped me build my mindset. My mindset growing up has always been like, you know, get the most amount of education you can, you know, get a nice stable job, get a house paid off, and then there's your life. But, you know, be going to these seminars and hanging or listening to these people, it, 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 I made, it made me realize that it's all possible. It's okay to dream big. It's, it's doable. And you just need to learn how to do it. But you first of all need to visualize, you need to know that it's possible, believe in it. So that's where that's, that's the good. And also, I think the $40,000 in debt, and the pressure, you know, that I'm going to lose my marriage, and like, all of that compounded was what made it happen for me. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up and don't have to dwell on it, but it's uh, it's actually a fact that the, the I, I believe it's the number one cause of divorce is finance. Mm-hmm. Over mm-hmm. money, breaks down. And, right. you know, it's, it's so often for us being in the industry, it's very frustrating to watch and to see, I mean, how many people come into the real estate investment network because we're not $40,000 coaching program that's not how what we do. We're education, we're we're economic fundamentals and research and all the things that we do. It's it is very uh, sometimes frustrating and disappointing. But to your point, what you've done with that lesson was you took it and flipped it. And to me, that's such an important insight or perspective for people to gain. Is yeah, you 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 know you whatever the, you know you spent the forty thousand. 
it was the, the information was kind of yeah it didn't really apply but what you did take away from it you actually leveraged and so the lesson in all of this is that you know and this was and, I, and I'm going on a little bit about this Kunal and we're going to come back to it right away because but I think it's an important kind of I can't help but try and give some educative insights which is this is that you know I, I once I, I recently had a, a guest on the podcast who got an MBA and and said did that education really help me? You know, this many years later, was it really relevant? And he goes, you know, I got to I gotta be honest with you. I would have to say that overall, absolutely not. But he said, out of that MBA, I took away about six things that changed everything. And those six things have made me millions. So in as much as he spent the years and the money and the time with it for his MBA, which like to, like he said, it didn't really, isn't really relevant. You know, he took away six things and that's actually what you did. And that's such an important part of it because if you get stuck in the story that I got ripped off and this was made no sense and, and you go through that whole process and, and in your case, you actually really felt the pressure, you know, in your relationship. Um, at the end of the day, what you did was you flipped it. You took it and you said, well, okay, what, what did I get that I can apply? And it looks like, you know, part of that for you was certainly the shift in your perspective, your mindset, if you will. It was a mind shift for you. And I, I think time. that's just really, really good. So, you know, if anybody's listening and has had a similar scenario, because there are many, many out there who have, there's just a different way to look at the world. And, and I really admire you and, and respect the fact that you were able to have that mind shift. It's so important to be able to do that. And, you know, just like uh, who you interviewed had six things for the MBA, I would say mine were the top two would be collaboration. Like there's a lot possible when you open your eyes to collaboration, meaning, you know, a joint venture of some kind or just getting together, you know, being resourceful, I guess. And then the second one would be networking and the value of relationships. This, I would say, is my biggest takeaway from all of that. Once I was open to both those things once I got out of my comfort zone I'm a natural introvert so you know even in a like when I'm showing up to these seminars I'm, I'm listening to the speaker talk but I'm not and then finally going at the back of the room and signing up for the course but I'm not interacting with people within the room I'm not a, you know, like I, I wasn't like that I guess I should say in the past that but once I opened up to that I mean the the word changed for me and my first deal uh, was a fix and flip. And after three attempts, the investor that I approached, uh, I said, I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. I want to partner with you. Three, uh, two times she turned me down. Third time she was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And she was able to, we collaborated on the deal. She, she was able to buy the place. And I was able to, again, go to my credit card and borrow the money to rent the place, rent the place. And then we made some money. Uh, so when was that? Like, so you're you're coming to Canada around 2009, you, and then you started getting into the world of real estate. What what, what year would have that have been, uh, Kunal? So I would say my first investment property, which was the fix and flip that I bought, was in 2016. Mm -hmm. Now it's interesting yeah. that you know you and I want to and and we're going to spend a little bit of time. Like I, I just find these things kind of fascinating, and this is my interest, and I know. My, my listeners have an interest because everybody takes a little bit away from these conversations. And I want to go back to something that you said, which was, you know, you used two things around collaboration and then you use the other conversation or the other, 
statement of networking. Okay. You know, and, and so I've often said, you know, one of the, the true secret sauce for rain and why we've been around 28 years. And in spite of, you know, some of the perspectives that people may have around rain as a national organization, ultimately, as much as we teach economic fundamentals, as much as we teach strategies and tactics, the true secret sauce for rain and its community, you know, $5.4 billion worth of real estate is this, is environment, culture, community. And when you, and you, you, this is so interesting because this has been coming up a lot. When you place yourself in a community and a culture of collaboration, and you're, you're at meetings, you know what it's like, you've got many friends in rain now, and it really is about relationships, which you said, but it's also a culture of support. It's a culture of collaboration. You know, people aren't holding their cards close to their chest going, I'm not telling you my secrets. It's actually quite the opposite of that. And you're actually a, a, a walking statement of that. And 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 so it's it's so important for people to understand that success in real estate, success in business, when we talk about networking, it's not just going out, shaking hands and kissing babies. It's really how you show up and the attitude of collaboration and putting your, yourself in a community in an environment of collaboration. Now, I want to get to another thing that you brought up, which is you're an introvert. Now, I'm a little surprised by that. Okay, so are you now knowing you're an introvert, like stretching out of that introversion? Because a true introvert, and, and, I, and Stephanie, my wife, as much as she's very public, she's an introvert. So she'll go out, she'll generate, she'll be out there. She's awesome. She's a speaker. She's a coach. She's like all global travel, all of the things that she does. But when she shuts down, like when it's time, when she has to go back to her introversion mode, it's like she shuts down. So that's a long-winded way to getting to the question of when you're out to collaborate, when you're out to network, knowing you're an introvert, what's some of the things that you're doing, thinking, how are you showing up? What is that experience for you? Uncomfortable? It is highly uncomfortable. I mean, let's go back to my early days. I, I'm a newer member of Rain. I joined in 2017 uh, at the Acre there. And uh, for me, when I first used to show up at the Rain meetings, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going into a meeting where there's like all these people who have achieved so much, so much in real estate. How am I even going to go shake their hand? Kind of thing. Right. But, um, for me, it's been like, yes, it's very, it's still, still uncomfortable. I'm like, you know, I don't want to uh, meet new people or talk, but I'm like, no, that's important. That really is. And then I think there was a shift in focus when I talked to someone and he's like, you know, why are, he asked me at one of the acres, he's like, why are you here? I'm like, today I'm here to find someone who's new to investing and I'm going to help with, help them with their journey. That's why I'm here. And I was like, well, if I am thinking like that, when I've had a little bit of success, I mean, there would be people out there who are, you know, further ahead than me. They probably have that mindset too. So I think that's where the shift is coming from. But still it's, you know, every time it's a little bit outside the comfort zone thing and I'm working on it. I'm working as much as possible, but still I put myself in, in a situation where I have no choice but to, but to interact, but to uh, be there and show up as like, you know, the individual I am. So 
you're you're primarily investing in the Edmonton market in Alberta. Is there anything outside of that that you're doing? Give me kind of give give us a feel a little bit of what you're doing, what you got going on, and and uh, some of the success that you've had. You're I mean you're you've won some awards. You've uh, you're certainly out there in terms of really driving your business of investing in real estate. And so give us a little bit of insights into some of the things that you're doing, Colonel. For sure. So I am focused on, uh, you know, I started off as a fix and flip investor and then uh, quickly, I guess, the shift in market and also the membership at Rain has helped me realize that the biggest bang for your buck is actually in buying holes. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the better way to go, you can do fix and flips when, when the time is right. Uh, so since that shift happened, I've started focusing on buy and holds. And what I do is uh, I specialize in buying older properties, buying them low, uh, renovating them to add a legal secondary suite, and then refinancing them and holding them as a long-term rental property. And I've done them for houses. I've done them for uh, duplexes now. And... Uh, you know, I, I I would say I'm at my done 18 or so flips in the last uh, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's all about uh, buy and holds. That's where I'm focusing now. So that's great. But let me, I love where you're going and what you're doing. Tell me, did you come into the world of real estate? You know, and I see, I believe this is something that, you know, some people just commonly, I think goes back to some of the misinformation and education is that there really is, you went into real estate doing fix and flip because you knew you were going to generate active income. Then you went to a buy and hold and then you realized, okay, well, I can get a little bit of active income in terms of renovation, maybe pull some money off the table when you refinance. But really you got into a a future income mindset and, and strategy. I believe that one of the most common miscommunications and myths that is in this industry is that, and is taught, sadly, um, not by us, is invest as buy and hold, get your cash flow to 500 bucks a month or whatever the number is, and then put that cash in your pocket, which you know, I know, doesn't work. Doesn't work. It does not work as active income. It is such a myth. Now you got to that. Like, so you understand that, that concept. Do you see it the same way? Now you're in it. I mean, you're in the trenches every day. You're talking to real estate investors. Do you do you find that myth as well? Do you see that that as well? That misunderstanding. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I mean, lots of people, especially the you know folks who are just getting started, the focus is on the cash flow, you know, and they think. Uh, and I, I'm not gonna lie. I th- I used to think like that too, right? Like I'm gonna get so many properties, get so much in cash flow, and then live off of it. Doesn't work. Doesn't it work. doesn't work because yeah. the cash flow, yes, it's it's a quick measure to look at the deal and see how the deal would perform. But your cash flow is, yes, you make that 500 bucks. But if you have a vacancy and a major repair in the same year, your cash flow is gone. Mm-hmm. Right. So it goes pretty quickly. You know, so it's it's important to like lots of people say, just look at pay down pay down and you know cash flow and appreciation but your pay down is your biggest kind of it's well let's put it this way it's it's your only real guarantee right right exactly cash flow cash flow is fleeting (laughs) you know yes yes you can have two years of like hit it out of the park cash flow 
and uh, you know, you know, one blowing up furnace, you know, one one blowing up hot water heater, you know, a roof, whatever, and it's all gone. So it's it's right. uh, you know, it's fleeting at best. The cash flow and appreciation, as we all have learned and know, that it comes, it goes, and you know, you just got to play the game, play the long game, and you're going to win. I want to go back a little bit, Kunal. Is that you work full time? I do, and you're married and you have one child two kids now. two kids okay so (laughs) how the heck do you pull this all off my friend so you know i think there's there's so much time in the day as long as you can plan it right so of course i have to be a master at my time management and uh, i just needed a course it's a you know cd pack tony robbins time of your life program that i did well, it's been over a year now, uh, but I got so much value from it. That helps me plan my days, like everything, including doctor's appointments, my daughter's activities, all those things go on that schedule so that I can really stay on top of things. Um, every Monday, I spend about an hour planning my week so I can stay on top of it. Just to give the listeners a bit of background. Um, so I'm a pharmacist with, uh, you know, the provincial healthcare system here in Alberta and I'm working on deploying a computer system with uh, you know across the province and in terms of family I have a beautiful wife and two daughters one is four-year-old and one is six-week-old so we just had a brand new baby in December so that sounds full but you know I'm I'm going to uh you know you went to a Tony Robbins event that's great and um I still do occasionally do a a presentation uh, and a kind of a 45 minute talk. I've done it at rain several times over the years on time management. And it always is interesting to hear people afterwards go, you know, something I, I, I know a lot of this stuff and I just don't apply it. And so I've recently, um, you know, over the past couple of years recently is really understood something that has kind of been a big shift for me and a big shift for others. And I even heard what you said is it isn't really time management. I don't believe it's time management. It's what you use the word planning, but it's focus management. And it's not about where you spend your time. It's where you spend your focus. Now you go to work and you got to be, I mean, let's put it, your profession is pretty, it's a big deal. Like, I mean, being a pharmacist, there's the margin for error is like zero tolerance, right? You've got to be on your game. So you've got to be fully present to your job as a pharmacist. doesn't matter how competent you get. I mean, there's certain things that I'm sure you do that just are, but you you got to pay attention. I mean, it's a pretty important part of what you guys do. Mm-hmm. And so you're present to that. Then outside of that, you spend your focus. You got your family, you got, I'm sure, some recreation, you got your real estate, kind of your side hustle. Anyways, that's my perspective on on that. And so when I when I hear individuals like you speak and they talk about time management, and I realize what you're actually doing to accomplish what you're accomplishing. I have a point on that. I completely agree with what you just said about, you know, managing the focus because the way the course is laid out, he, Tony talks about, you know, 
you know, identifying the outcomes you're after. So what is the outcome for like every meeting, everything you're going to do? And then for out that outcome, you tie in the action items you need to take. Mm-hmm. And for, in order for you to achieve that outcome, why do you need to get that outcome? What's the purpose behind it? Mm-hmm. I think that's the meat. So a lot of people say, yes, I want so many doors and yes, I want to, you know, get to this place by this time but why Mm -hmm. that i think and i mean on that granular level right i mean we talk about why at a bigger level this is why i'm doing it this is my bigger why in life and things like that but at the granular level what's the why for that one outcome and if it's not important enough for you to look at finding somebody to delegate it to right Let's dig into this a little bit more then, because I know one of your, you know, one of your kind of purposes, you know, is that you get fired up is to support other people's success. You know that part of your purpose is to be a contribution. And and I think that everybody will get to that. Not everybody does, but most people Mm -hmm. eventually get to that realization. You know, as human beings, you know, we need significance. And one of the best ways to achieve significance is to be a contribution, you know, and to support others in, in their success. So I, I love that part of, you know, because we had a little bit of a very brief conversation before we got on here. But I love what you just said and what you learned, which is we work backwards from an outcome. Got it. That That's that's actually pretty pragmatic. We, we think about that. But it's the purpose behind the outcome on a much smaller scale, not the bigger why. Mm-hmm. Love, mm-hmm. love, love that. And then the actions that you take. And I, I recently heard a phrase that was called so many people engage in the term that they used were empty calorie actions. And I went, I love that because people are busy doing busy work, mm-hmm. but they're empty calorie actions. They actually aren't, you know, it doesn't serve the, the purpose or it doesn't actually serve you to achieve your outcome. Tell me something that you mentioned here as you delegate. What's some of the hurdles that you've had to get past working as a busy dad, a busy family guy, busy pharmacist? What are some of the things that you've really had to kind of get focused on? And what are some of the things that you've learned along the way around delegation, around team, et cetera? I think hiring someone, like hiring someone for help and being okay with spending the money to have someone even if it's something like helping with meal prep or helping with certain things, it's been a struggle. And I feel like it's not worth it to pay someone to do it because I totally can. I can go pick up groceries myself. Why pay someone to do it? Or I can clean the house myself. Why pay someone to do it? But it's been a huge, huge shift that in order to keep the balance, in order to keep the harmony at home and and be okay with it, because what's more important? what's more important is the why and we're moving towards it. It's not as important that I, you know, clean my house and save the couple of hundred dollars, you know, even if I look at it on an annual basis, you know, uh, doing that, it's, it's okay to have that, have that external help to help maintain the harmony at home. So that's been, it's been a big struggle. And I think not to, you know, um, point fingers, but I think it's a bigger struggle for my wife. So we kind of work through it uh, where she's like, no, we can totally do it ourselves. So she's, uh, you know, a miser, which is, which is great, which kind of keeps us in check and whatnot. But like, we really have to see what we need versus what is just like, yeah, we, we, it's not that we're lazy. Of course we're not lazy, but it's, it's a, it's a shift in thinking and it's definitely a challenge sometimes. 
Yeah. And, and I see this all the time, you know, this many years uh, of being a coach and being in the space with entrepreneurs, with real estate investors, small business owners, there's a fundamental shift that I think people have to get. And that is what's the best use of your time, you know? And when we look at hiring an assistant, whether that's an executive assistant, whether it's somebody to do yard work or nanny or housekeeping or whatever it is, when you consider what is the best and highest use of your time, and that's not always going to translate necessarily into a direct financial return on your investment, but it can be peace of mind. It can be creativity. Give yourself some space to rest and be creative. And that's where multi-million dollar ideas live. And so it's always a shift to what is the return on the investment of that money into an assistant and then really stepping back from it. And because we, we there, it's, I think, would you agree with your, you and your wife that there's a guilt factor because you know, you can do it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I, I still, this technically I probably have two or three assistants. Sometimes I say <laughs> that just because I'm such a shit show, you know, it's like, because I'm, I've got so much going on, but you know, the, the point is, is that even in spite of that, in spite of the many conversations I have, it's actually a running joke is that I will try and schedule something in my calendar and I'll even be focused on it. And nine times out of 10, I'm not kidding. I screw it up. Like it's embarrassing. And I'm going, how is that possible? I'm competent. I know how to work an Outlook calendar for Christ's sakes, but it'll be the wrong date. It'll be the wrong time. It'll be the wrong time zone. And, and because I work in multiple time zones, that's often what it is. But I'll click on the wrong Friday. It's, it's like, it's crazy. And Cheryl says to me, Patrick, just tell me what you want. Quit trying that. You know, even my, yeah. even my executive team, I'll send it out and I'll screw it up and they'll just come back and go, <laughs> Cheryl, can you please help here? Anyways, it's embarrassing. Right. But the point is, is that it's ultimately, it's not the best use of my time. You as a, as a, as you know, you're, you're in a high paid profession. You're in a, a high educated profession. Your, your time is valuable in the, in the role that you play, having rest, having space. You want to spend time with your family it's pretty easy to then look at it and go, the best use of my time is not cleaning my house or not doing my lawn. So tell me on your real estate investing, on the real estate investing side of it, what did it take for you being an introvert, being relatively new into the industry and relatively new in the country? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. How did you kind of you know, can you give some insights into how you built your team, how you broke through that little bit of discomfort or fear barrier or whatever you want to call it to actually start to put a team together? For me, the biggest part was being open to, um, you know, collaboration and having having those conversations with as many people as I can. And, um, you know, as I said, my first project was I leveraged someone else's team. Um, you know, she was able to help purchase the house and I was able to bring the funds to do the rental on the place. So that's how we first started. And, you know, that gave me the experience that gave me, you know, an understanding of the, how the numbers work and, you know, what are the players, what are the, what are the player charge, for example, for contractors and things like that and you know over the years yes the team has changed and you know contractors have changed i guess you know you just it's it's natural that happens um but 
I am super, you know, um, cognizant of the of the people aspect and what do people care about and how to really foster the relationships. So, you know, whether it's a contractor or whoever it is on the team, I'm always touching base. I'm always staying connected and, you know, offering help where I can, but staying connected, really making them feel like, yes, I'm a part of it. We are all a team, giving them the feeling that it's a team effort. We fail together, we succeed together kind of thing. So for me, relationships and, you know, making them feel a part of the team has been key and having a team and kind of progressing forward. Well, you're a pretty chill guy. I mean, you're, 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 of course, because of what you do and, and how you show up, you know, you're very, very credible in what you do. Do you have a particular skill set? Now you talk about math. I mean, you think pretty pragmatically, you know, you think you're kind of intellectually there dialed in, not that you're strictly an intellect by any stretch. I'm not suggesting that, but is there a a real skill set that you bring, you know, uh, two questions I'm going to put together. One is what is your skill set? Like is a math, one of your top things, are you a good with spreadsheets kind of guy? If that's, you know, that's one part of it. And what's your superpower? Like, what is the one thing that you just, you know, you can do it in your sleep. It's just what you do. You don't know how you do it. You just can. It's like, do you have one of those? Yes, for sure. I would say I'm super good at math. I'm a spreadsheet guy. I'm super analytical. I love that. I enjoy spreadsheets. Uh, and so when, so when Jennifer, so just because Jennifer yes. is such a nerd and such a geek. So when she's up on stage talking spreadsheets and data and all the stuff that she just like gets lit up about you, you, you totally relate. I can totally relate to that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's totally me too. Totally me too. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, huge shout out to Jennifer for all she does, man. She does such amazing work. Like I'm always, always, so I'm always referring to her reports and yeah. yeah. Amazing. Work. Yeah, Sorry. Cool. I digress. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Superpower. Back, What's your superpower? Superpower. My superpower I would say is connecting with people now. Hmm. And connecting with people that I can read between the lines. And I feel like I can really make that connection in the shortest amount of time. And that connection is a strong one most times. I mean, it has to. We have to be like the same similar kind of wavelengths. We have to be similar people. But once I connect, it's it's at a deeper level. It's at a much deeper level. That. You know, that's such a great skill to have. You know, there's the skill of listening, but there's the skill of hearing. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what you call reading between the lines is really listening and hearing the words and knowing what those words really mean. It is that it is that skill of actually hearing what is being said beyond just the words. And that is truly a gift uh, to have. And uh, it's kind of one of my superpowers that I've, and I, but I think I've developed it over the years. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's great that you, you pick up on that. And because in what you're doing, those, that kind of relational equity that you're building with somebody comes from hearing, not just listening, but actually hearing them. Correct. So, so is raising capital, is that, you know, is that raising capital aspect of it is, does that come relatively easy for you? Because I, we're, we're, you know, as we've developed the raising capital program that we're, we just did one in Vancouver, we'll do one in, uh, in uh, Toronto as well. The question is, is that I run into people all the time. 
I've got rain members and, and investors even outside of rain that I talk to that have more money, more capital available to them than they can actually deploy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then others are going, I, I can't raise capital to save my life. So for you, is raising capital something that comes relatively easy or do you have to work really hard at it? What is it in, in raising capital? Because guess what? We all know that raising capital becomes a part of the game you have to play. Uh, totally. So what is it for you? It, it wasn't natural. It was a skill that I had to develop. Mm-hmm. And again, coming from a place of desperation, had no choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting out, have no uh, no capital. I, I want to do fix and flips. How am I going to do fix and flips? Like, you know, if you go to the bank on the... I, I heard that if you do three or four, the banks find out. And then they're like, this guy's always getting those short-term mortgages. We don't want to give him mortgages. So I was like, I have to do all of this work with private lending or, you know, find some people who have cash who are looking to deploy. So that's how I've done all my fix and flips. So it's a skill that came out of desperation because I had no choice. And I knew that I need some active income to get back afloat. I was, my ship was sinking. I really needed to get, get it back afloat. And now I, you know, and now it's, a, now again, it's a shift in thinking that I've now worked with all these people who are after the, that short term kind of return, the money's in, money's out, six months, you get your return and off you go. Now it's like, let's, let's get some longer term strategies and see how we can make wealth for, for both parties and not just for one kind of thing, right? So there's two things, I guess, for me in terms of capital raising. And I, I focus on that more than anything is my trust and my belief. Obviously, first you try and build a build a you know trust with the person you're you're hanging out with. It's not about numbers. It's not about what the deal is, what kind of house it is, any of that. It's all about building that trust that you are a genuine person and you're not going to screw them up, kind of thing, right? So putting it out there and building that trust, and of course it goes both ways, and then having the belief that. It's possible because if you, that inside voice that we all have and, you know, the constant nagging, no, 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 well, I don't think that guy, that, that person uh, would be willing to work with me or I don't think they, they would be ever wanting to do a deal with me or something like that. So I constantly remind myself and I do that with um, both in capital raising and also when I'm looking to buy a house privately, because again, I, I've started to love relationships. So I prefer to buy privately for that reason, because I can develop the relationship and build a relationship with the seller and try to, you know, try to get them to give me a vendor take back or something like that so that I don't have to worry about, you know, getting the funds to buy the place or rent out the place and things like that. So I've been very successful again with that relationship aspect. Have you, um, I want to go back to trust and belief in just a minute, but I want to ask you just a kind of more of a, a, a kind of question around are you delving into the world of uh, using RSP capital to pay for your deals? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Not well, yet. That'll be the next one for you. Um, for sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, so I want to I want to shine a light on it because you know I've I've been spending so much time with the rain community. This is, this has become one of the many staples. But you know when we talk about uh, the real estate investor or real estate entrepreneur, the success formula. You hit on it something really key there, which is trust, you know, and, and I break that down into the four dimensions of trust, which is, are you reliable? Are you competent? 
are you, you know, well, actually, are you, you know, in the, in the quadrant, if you go telling the truth, are they reliable? Are they competent? And do they care? Because you can actually tell the truth, be somewhat reliable, be somewhat competent. But if you care, people give you a lot of flex, right? Those quadrants are really, you know, or those four dimensions of trust are really important. And, and you, I mean, you exude that, right? You, you, ex, you know, you, you shoot straight, you know, you don't stretch the truth. You don't, uh, you know, you don't actually, uh, what's the word, embellish. You know, you're, that's mm-hmm. not how you're built. You're reliable. You're going to do what you say you're going to do. You're competent. You can pull this off. You've got a track record for it now. And you really do care. You give a shit. So that that's... I, I big time. I yeah. big time care. I think, you know, that early on, I realized that the way to, you know, um, make something happen is by looking for those win-win opportunities as much as possible, as much as possible. And you really do care. So then the other one is belief, you know, and, and, and the reason I shine on it, because here you are, and I, and, and I'm going to get, I want to get to you in India. I want to hear more about your background because in, in the nine years, 10 years that you've been, no, I guess it'd be about 11 years now that you've been in Canada, you've accomplished quite a lot. You know, you've done a lot of really cool stuff. You've got an education, you've got a great job, you're investing in real estate, you've created a circle of influence, you've, you've actually become quite a leader in, in, in the space that you play in, which is really cool. Now, here's the question, because you said it, and um, are, I don't know if, are you aware of it? I'm sure you are because you've done the work, but belief. Belief that it's possible, and understanding that when you believe something's possible, only then can an opportunity show up because otherwise you can't see the opportunity if you don't believe it's possible. How much do you have to push to believe in yourself? A lot. I would say it starts, I've recently started a new practice where I do, um, like it's called Tony Robbins priming where you are three things you're grateful for. And, uh, you know, the the white light therapy, basically, you know, your white light goes through you kind of thing. And then the three things that you, you want accomplished, I think that's where the belief really kicks in for me. And that's what is truly magical for me because at that moment I'm actually visualizing, but I'm strengthening my belief that that's possible. And also another practice I do is I put it out there. I don't care. I just, every person I see, I'm like, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing. Now I'm committed. I have no backing out now. Like I'm believing in it, but even the slightest amount of doubt now now goes away because I have put it out there to that person. And it's funny how it works. Like, for example, I'm looking for my next duplex and I put it out there in a different meeting at a different place in front of somebody else. And I go to a different place and I, I get the deal. I'm like, oh, wow. It's just the universe basically gives it to you because you put it out there. You're determined. You have the belief and it just comes to you like unintentional. It's so powerful. I love this conversation, Kunal, because being in the space that we're in is, and I mean, Rain is in as an educator and and what we do, I'm constantly in a battle between people going, tell me how, tell me how, another strategy, another tactic, another strategy. And I'm going, stop it. You're looking for how to, you know, another strategy, another tactic where the how to lives in you. First off, mm-hmm. do you believe in yourself? Do that's so powerful that, and people step over it all the time. I see it 
all of the time where people simply don't believe in themselves. And it takes work to do that. You actually have to be consciously doing the work. And, and this is why I love this conversation, because really you're doing that work. As much as you're the pragmatic Excel spreadsheet guy, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're the guy that's going, I got to work on, I got to have a, a I, I'll use the word mindset, but sometimes it's mm -hmm. about a mind shift. You've actually mm -hmm. got to view, you have to view the world differently in order for the opportunities to show up, which means you have to believe it's possible. In your case, I mean, gosh, you use the word, the universe has a way you know, of showing up. Well, yes, it does. But if you don't believe that, if you look at that and go, mm -hmm. you know something, it's, it's black, it's white. There's nothing in between. I mean, you're going to work your ass off. You probably still will have some great success, could be but you're mm -hmm. really making it hard to do. And, and in your case, I think you just shine a light on it. I, I love that, by the way. I think that's great. Because I'm getting to know you as we have this, this conversation, by the way. So I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're in the room, all the, in the rain room often. And so uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. So take me back a little bit, Kunal, in, in before you came to Canada. You're in India. Where in India are you? I'm from Delhi, so a big, busy city. Yeah, big, busy city. You, you've got this kind of entrepreneurial spirit, although you're you're working right now. Um, did you come by that naturally? Was it were your were your parents entrepreneurial? What was your background as a young man growing up? Actually, quite recently, I would say within the last month or so, I've had some time to reflect on what makes me who I am. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, perfect timing, I guess, for the question. For me, I would say if I were to go back in my childhood, um, you know, I had two parents, both of them were working, they're working hard. And never did I ever get the sense that we were wealthy. We, were, we had a comfortable right, life. So what they were doing was they were being miser and really controlling what we spend, but saving up for education so that they could, like it's, um, it's myself and my younger brother, both of us came to Canada to do our master's. So, you know, my parents paid for all our education. And I mean, with the dollar difference and stuff like that, they really had to save up and they did a pretty darn good job. But, you know, I feel I never felt like we were wealthy growing up. And I would hang out with friends and whatnot, and some of their parents were entrepreneurs. And I could see that there's a difference. And the biggest thing for me was the schedule. Like I would see my dad like working really, really hard and sometimes even, you know, going to, I don't know, do some things late at night for work and things like that. I'm like, I don't see my friend's parents do that ever. So they, they control their schedule. If there's something that they need to go for they put things off delegate to the team and then they go do it they don't have to be answerable to anyone and also from i think i guess the money aspect too i could see that there is a difference in order for me to have access to everything i want i need to be an entrepreneur i need to uh, have my own business going only then i can afford certain things so that's where you know the mindset came from as a kid but then at home it was honed down on us that you need to get the best possible education you can and you know get a good uh, good undergrad degree and now you got to do your masters and i mean then you start at a decent level and then you know life is life is amazing after that but i guess the, then the two things connect when we have a baby i do have a good paying job we exhaust all our savings. And now we're in a cash crunch. And 
you know, uh, there going back to my mindset where I was like, oh, being an entrepreneur can actually solve some of those things. So that's where I guess the connect happened for me. And I was like, okay, I really need to start exploring something. I do need to keep the job so I can, you know, keep taking care of the bills, the day-to-day stuff. But I do need to build something along the side so I can, you know, rely on it at a later stage. Now, did you have any kind of a side hustle when you were back in India as a kid growing up? Any any of that kind of stuff that was going on, uh, you know, to generate or make some money on the side back then? No, not a whole lot. It was just about, you know, like, it's funny. I wasn't even a great, like, kid, meaning in terms of my grades and whatnot. I was just average. But I got really, really good when I got to Canada and its focus. Now, why did you come to Canada? Did your parents come to Canada or did you come on your own? I came on my own. Why Canada? Why Canada? I guess I had uh, and uh, my dad's cousin who was in Abbotsford. He came to India and we kind of, you know, chatted and something about his his story and something about how he described Canada to me just lighted a spark in me when I was 15 years old. And I was like, man, I want to go to this country. I really, really admire what he just told me. They were living in Newfoundland at the time and then they moved to Abbotsford and things like that. And I was like, wow, that's so amazing. And nothing else. Lots of, you know, I guess when you're in India nowadays, there's like everybody wants to get out to get their higher education. So people look at, you know, options like United States, Australia, you know, Canada, New Zealand, so and so forth, right? But for me, I was like, no, I just want to go there. That's all I know. That's all I care about. I just want to get there. I I had never even been, but I was like, I'm going to go. And in fact, my dad was like, you know what? Being here in India, I can probably support you quite well. I can support you with a vehicle, probably give you some seed capital, whatever you want to do. I can support you quite a bit. But when you go to a different country where the dollar difference is 50 to 1, I can only go so far. I'm like, just give me one year. That's all I want. Just give me that one year. And uh, if I, you know, if I can feel that I can make it happen, then I'll stay there. Otherwise, I'll come back. He's like, okay. So, you know, like me and my dad are like close buddies and we we, we, are, we have a really strong bond and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So he gave me the chance and I came and I was like, yeah, there's no turning back. I, I love it here. It's just amazing. So tell me a little bit about, did your brother come over to Canada as well? Did I hear he did. you say that earlier? Yeah. Yes. What's the age difference between you and your brother? Four years. Did you come guys come together or different times? No. Uh, different times. So when I was here, he was still doing his undergrad. So yeah. just like I did yeah. after I finished my undergrad, he came after his undergrad and, you know, he's working on his master's now. So you're a big brother. Yes. Now <laughs> your, your English is very good. Now, were you, were you raised speaking English in India as well? Big time. Yes. So yeah. I think, you know, I've been very fortunate. Um, again, the kind of school we went to and the people we hung out with, they were all English speaking. So English was a part of me right from, I would say, grade one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, I do speak uh, two other languages as well, Hindi and Punjabi. But it's, you know, having having that early on in your life really helps. And uh, yeah, parents also focus quite a bit on reading and, you know, who we hang out with. They were they were mindful of that. So mm-hmm. that's been huge. So they created some strong boundaries. So totally. now when you when you think about you came to Canada, you know, first off, weather shock. How'd you do with the weather? 
we're Canadian. <laughs> we got to talk about weather. But so, so just oh yeah, totally, totally. It was a big shock, right? I mean, coming from a warmer climate <laughs> to like I first came to Halifax, uh, where at least we get those four seasons, and it was like, oh my god, oh my god, what did I? <laughs> so is that where? So for. so where when you came from India, where did you where did you land? You landed in Halifax. That's yes, a, well, isn't that interesting? You know, I mean, the yes. East Coast. So why why Halifax? Like, was it what was the what was the draw to that? The university really. Okay. So I applied for a bunch yeah. of them, and sure. uh, you know, I got accepted over there, and I got accepted in Saskatchewan. And the program at uh, Dalhousie University in Halifax was a uh, was something that was more in line with where where I was wanting to go. You know, just love for computers, and it was like a happy happy combination of like healthcare and IT. So I was like, okay, that's where I want to go. And yeah, that's cool. How was it on the culture shock side of the thing of things? Did you did you go through a bunch of culture shock, or was it pretty good? It was a huge culture shock, I would say. I think the biggest culture shock, and I still love it to date, is how open people are. I mean, there yes, there are some people who like to kind of hold back information, mm-hmm. but the holding back part was just a part of the culture i would say in back in india and here when i came i was like oh my god nobody holds anything back that's so interesting so it was a it was a huge culture shock i mean despite you know having the uh, background where you know i was exposed to the english language and you know, I was comfortable with it, conversing in it and stuff like that. It was a bit of a shock in terms of like, I would uh, sit from my first um, few lectures, I remember at, uh, at my university, and it was a little hard to follow the accent. I'm like, okay, I really need to <laughs> adapt and adapt rather quickly because it's a master's program. It's not like I have a whole lot of time to adapt and learn from it. So this is the experience I've, I've had, and, and we talked a little bit about, I, I'm, you know, of course, I comment on how the fact that you're, uh, you've got a great command of the English language, really, really great. I'm often uh, speaking with immigrants from other countries that come to Canada, are in the conversation of raising capital. And I, and I don't know where I want to go with this. I just, I guess I'm having perspective from somebody who is like outside of the country and, and they're trying to raise capital, but their English is, is, is just not strong. You know, it's obviously English is a second language. Um, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not nearly as obvious with you, by the way, like it's obvious to, to some degree, but I mean, it's so clear. It doesn't matter. The point is mm-hmm. this is when I dig into that conversation with them is that I'm often suggesting to them that if you want to raise capital, you have to have a stronger command of the English language, unless you're actually going to be in your culture. Let's say you're, I don't um, care if you're Italian yeah, or Polish totally. or, you know, it, you know, you, it, if you're raising capital in a community of Czechoslovakians or Italians or whatever that might, case may be, then you're speaking your language, you're comfortable. I suggest to people all the time and they go, well, I'm, I'm having trouble learning, you know, really learning English. And I found this to be the answer to the question. I go, what language do you speak at home? And they go to what's easy. They yes. go to their yes. native tongue. <laughs> Big time. And, and I, you know, I suggest to them, I go, you, you just have to speak English full stop. You've got to do that. And, and the reality of it is, is that it just takes practice. So totally. And you got to do it. And, And it's, it's, so here's, here's the thing about that. Some of them, because their kids are now born in Canada, 
the kids mm-hmm. are speaking English. They're trying to, they go, I don't want to lose my, you know, I don't want the kids to lose the, the Italian roots, right? Like, or whatever the case may be. I want them to know the language. And, and I say to them all the time, then play the game. Have your kids teach you English and you'll teach them whatever language you're going to teach them and play right. the game. So, so from an, an immigrant point of view, somebody who is raised speaking English, but sees that, do you have, I don't know, do you have some advice? Do you have some guidance for people? Because I think it's really important. I see it. I believe it. I see it all the time, the breakdown. Yeah. I, and I think it's, it's important to be really mindful of it and be strict basically with your own self. For example, even if I meet someone, let's say at a RAIN meeting and they speak Hindi or they speak Punjabi, and let's say we're in a group setting and they come and, you know, start talking to me in Hindi or Punjabi. I'm not going to respond in Hindi or Punjabi. Mm-hmm. This is my rule. Mm-hmm. I'm only going to talk to them in English. <laughs> and I, it comes from a place of, you know, being uncomfortable back in Halifax where I, you know, hang out with all these international students and some of the students who else come from the same background and are conversing in their own language. And I'm like, holy mackerel, I have no clue what they're talking about. It's so weird and I don't get it. But since then, I was like, at least I can change myself and I can make this a rule. So again, going back to your question about, you know, being comfortable with the language, just, you know, use it as often as you can. Like, you know, do certain things. You need to have a why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to have, have the granular why. Why do you want it? If you want it bad enough, you're going to put in the work to make it happen. If you don't want it bad enough, if you don't have a strong enough why, I'm sorry, it's not going to come. Yeah, you'll, you'll go home and speak your native tongue. <laughs> that will exactly. Be it. exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, I yeah. love that. You know, what I what yeah. I really like about this particular conversation, Kunal, and now I, I really am starting to see and understand why you've had the success you've had and, and how you show up is because you're pretty intentional about it. It's not happening mm-hmm. by accident. You're not just no. like, you know, it's like the conversation, well, you know, he's just a born leader. I, I go, bullshit. You know, there's no such thing as a born leader. There's some no. people who have some great leadership qualities and then they work their asses off to be the best leader they can be. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of how you occur for me. So tell me something on the real estate side of it, Kuno. Um, I'm sure you face some adversity. I'm sure, you know, I, and I'm making that assumption. Have you faced adversity? And and can you share some, maybe some insights, some lessons learned along the way that uh, kind of woke you up to go, whoa, I better not do that again. Have you had some fires to fight? Or have you been pretty fortunate so far? Mm, yes, I've had some fires to fight. And I'm going to take us back to a RAIN meeting mm-hmm. where we're doing a group exercise. And uh, the group exercise, I can't remember what the specific exercise was about, but right after the exercise, um, you show up. And I was like, well, I guess this is the time to ask Patrick a question. So I'll do it. And I'm like, Patrick, how do you deal with someone when they say things and you're not comfortable and you're just, you're hurt? You're simply hurt. I'm an emotional person. And I guess that's my power. That's my superpower. Helps me connect with people. But when somebody rubs me on the wrong side, I really, it it does take a toll on me. And that was one of those days when something had happened. Someone had said something in the real estate community. And I was just devastated. I was broken to pieces. And then, you know, we're doing this exercise and I'm like, Patrick, how do you deal with that? And you're like, I always come back to what are you doing for your personal development? And I was like, holy mackerel. 
That's where I'm missing out. So that was a huge awakening moment where you you shed the light on something that I wasn't doing enough of. Mm. So, you know, I guess you, I did a little bit of that and then, you know, got into, got my real estate wheels turning and doing some deals and things like that. And then the setback happens and I'm not doing enough of that because I'm just busy doing real estate. I'm not doing enough of that mindset and personal development. So that moment was like, I think you said something along those lines of what book are you reading right now? Mm. And I didn't have an answer. And ask me now. I'm always doing something to do with personal development. So I think it helped. Those are the biggest setbacks. Like those are the, that's the baggage that I sometimes bring home. And I I sometimes do struggle with it. But then I find something that is in line with what I'm dealing with. Again, mindset. And just go apply it. And not, I had just finished a book called Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it, it, it's amazing in terms of how <laughs> such it puts a good perspective. Book. That's <laughs> such a good book. I mean, I know, there's right? some really, really profound stuff in there. And uh, yeah. so that's great. I am happy to hear that whatever comment I made was a catalyst or a, a you know, a, a, a tick for somebody to go, whoa, never even, never even thought of that. And yes, we're actually going to, I am going to be asking what you're uh, reading these days, but something that, you know, I, you know, that really shines a light on all of this is that we have to develop as people, you know, I, we're, I'm really, you know, I, I harp on it. Sometimes I, I think to nauseam is that it's forget about so much about what you have to do. It's who you have to become to achieve the result. And in that journey, the doingness starts to occur, you know, right. and, right. and, but that's such a shift for people. It's a, sometimes it's a tough shift for people to have. And, and the other thing that you said there, which I think is so important is baggage. You know, mm-hmm. what is the baggage you bring with you? And to, for the most part, although, you know, I'm sure it's, you're, you're like many is that you're bringing the the good bet. You're you're working on dumping the old baggage and realizing that it doesn't serve you to carry it around. As a matter of fact, it gets heavy, it gets cumbersome, and it gets in your way. Like right. shed the shit. You know, yes. you, the, you know the past is the past. The history is the history. All you've got is the present. You've really, truly only got this moment. Bring forward with you the stuff that works, the stuff that right. lights you up, the stuff that actually supports you in in what you're doing, not the old story. And, uh, you know, you come to realize that it's the old stories. People like to stay stuck in their old stories because it's really comfortable. Yeah, totally. And I think you and Stephanie both do a really good job at honing, you know, at at delivering this message to the community, um, you know, with uh, Stephanie's exercise of the decade and what's kind of bothering you what's the energy leak oh i so connected with that because Mm -hmm. i felt like you know oh i borrowed something from someone and i haven't given back okay now is the time so i really took some time to work on that you know 80 percent of what all we do is psychology and I'm a psychology nerd, if you haven't realized by now. <laughs> and I'm becoming a bigger and a bigger and a bigger psychology nerd um, because it's, it's, it's the biggest part of it. Like, I mean, in anything we do, psychology is 80%. Right. And uh, I, it's, my, it's my passions now 
to learn more and more about human psychology. Because you know it works. You realize that in order for you to achieve your goals, that's what you have to do. It's going to get me there. You know, the more I know, the more I can apply, the more I can do, the better results I'll get and just kind of, you know, that positive loop, right? So I just want to keep doing more and more and more. So... What's some of your, like, you know, when you look into the future for you, Colonel, and you look at real estate, do you, do you, do you, do you work backwards from a big vision? Do you, what's your, in your world, are you a goal setter saying, okay, in five years, I want this. Are you, are you pretty pragmatic in that thought process as well? What's some of the things that you apply to that you're working backwards from long-term, short-term? How, do, how, how does that work for you? How, what's, how, what's your strategy around that? I definitely look at a couple of years down the line, at least uh, three years at the least kind of thing and see where do I want to be. So I'm intentional about it. And uh, I look at, okay, what am I wanting to achieve? And, you know, what are the course of events that need to happen to get us there? Like, as a matter of fact, recently, I'm a part of a mastermind and we recently did an exercise where we did, uh, it's called act as if party. And we just, you know, come out and present where are we going to be in the next three years. And um, as a part of that, it was, uh, for me, it's about moving to the West Coast. And uh, how am I going to get there? What are the course of events that are going to happen for us to be there? And things like that. And uh, of course, real estate ties into that because that's the bigger vision. And this is what real estate looks like. I... I don't break it down per se, like what does my real estate look like, but I just know that I need to keep growing. But going back to what you always say, you need to become, you know, the person who can who can attract all of that success. So again, I feel like I need to keep growing personally. The personal development aspect has to be a big component of it to keep so that I can, I can basically manage everything, right? I mean, otherwise I would, I can just explode in terms of like the number of properties I own and not have the bandwidth to support it and just crumble, right? So I don't, I don't want to get, go that, go down that road. Now tell me a little bit about your mastermind, Kunal, because people talk about masterminds all the time and, and I have background in, in masterminds and, and they can be very, very effective, but they could also be empty calorie actions, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're going in and everybody's like really excited about this and that, and, but uh, nothing comes out of it. So give me a little bit of your structure for masterminds for those individuals who are considering a mastermind. You know, have you got one or two or three or five tips around, you know, having a successful mastermind? Totally. I think the number one thing is putting yourself in that zone, in that community of high achievers who are action takers who are doing uh, like taking massive action and achieving results. Um, That's where I think for me, it helps a lot. And in terms of effective structure, um, there has to be some ground rules. If there are no ground rules, there's all kinds of chatter that happens and things that you don't, that don't add value to your life basically. So I think our mastermind has a strong structure behind it. I guess we have a really strong leader um, who, who makes sure that we follow the code of honor and follow the principles of the mastermind. And also we stick to our structure. We stick to the timeline, we show up and we are prepared. 
So we have a you know monthly check-in sheet that we fill out and we show up. And so there's there's a fair bit of structure to it. Mm-hmm. It's a full day event that we we go to, and every single one of us is is making stuff happen. In fact, I'm probably the only one who is still in a day job. All the others are entrepreneurs. They don't have day jobs anymore, and they're they're doing pretty well in the real estate realm of things. So yeah, structure and. How often is your are your masterminds? Once a month. Once, <clears throat> Once a, month. a month. And how many people are part of your mastermind? I would say about ten people. Yep. Okay, great. Yeah. 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 So just it's just to give some you know, listeners uh some food for thought around mm-hmm. having a mastermind. Some key takeaways there for me is surrounding yourself with not only like-minded people, but action takers. Individuals mm-hmm. who are actually in the doing this, not just there for a social conversation. You're actually you know, setting yourself up to win learning and as well as setting some targets and some goals and sharing, and then having a really strong structure and, uh, that everybody adheres to, uh, somebody where's the C somebody where's the captain is the captain or the right. leader of that group keeps people on track, keeps that focus happening. And those, those are actually some really strong winning ingredients for a great mastermind. Now, Kuno, you know, we have to start to wind down a little bit here and, um, this has been a great conversation from at least for my, you're, you're an interesting oh, cat. Oh, totally. You're just <laughs> an interesting, interesting cat. Man. Um, <laughs> so because you're a contribution, because I know you're reflective and you think about things, you know, as we start to wind down, is there anything that you, that you feel compelled that you want to share that you need to say to listeners, to other real estate investors, business owners, individuals who want to actually up their game? Take, is there anything that you want to share? I'm just giving you an opportunity and the answer may be, Nothing that I can think of in the moment because I put you on the spot. But if is there any... I do definitely have something that I want to say That'd is be great. don't feel intimidated. Don't feel like if you haven't even bought a single property, you can go talk to someone. I was like that and I, I regret it. But I feel it's it's something a lot of people bring to. Yeah, they show up to all these networking events, but they're not chatting they're not chatting meaning like they're not being open and not open to conversation so i would say don't feel like oh my god this guy is like you know 50 doors or 100 doors or whatever it is majority of the people in the community i feel are of that abundance mindset and i those are the one of the folks that i'm super grateful for like not one person i mean like the you know people who have the abundance mindset who feel like it's not a competition Mm-hmm. So my number one thing would be don't feel intimidated. Just go have a conversation. Just say, just put it out there what you're feeling, what you're going through. And everybody has gone through that at some point in their life. So 100% put it out there and you'd be surprised what comes your way. That's such a great reminder, Kuno. Well said, because you know the guy with 50 doors, 25 doors, 100 doors, doesn't matter. They all started with one door, you know, at some Mm -hmm. point they were fearful. They were not, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. And, and so having, being able to realize that. And, and I think there's, I, we go back to earlier on when we started talking is right. Is you got to put yourself in an environment of like-minded individuals, but it's not competitive. It's collaborative. You know, it is really being in a culture of collaboration. When you put yourself in that environment, Man, oh man, it's like being on steroids for real estate, taking action if you if you really embrace it. Great, great point. Anything else you want to share? 
take action and then figure out your why to mm. take that even the smallest of the smallest actions. Mm. And if you struggle with motivation, just take action. I feel it's it's again one of those positive loop things. You take a little bit of action, it's going to give me give you that motivation to take the next and next and next and so on and so forth. And once you have, you know, enough action going, you'll get the result you want. But take that action, take that step, that small step. Don't make it a big deal. It is. Uh, I know it's one of your pet peeves, yeah, right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, people don't want to put in the work, but put in the small amount of work that you can. Just just do something. I, I'll be honest, even showing up at rain meeting, oh, I'm not feeling it today. Yes, that thought does cross my mind. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to make it happen, right? Regardless of how long the day was, the night was, baby totally. didn't sleep, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to be there. <laughs> but that's, you know, that is so important is those one steps. You know, you look at the top of the mountain and you say, there's no damn way I can climb that mountain. And yeah. one step at a time, the next time you look up, you're, you know, you're at the top. And and so it's, you know, it, it goes back to all the cliches, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Exactly. And, and it really is that. So as we wind down, I get a little bit into my um, rapid fire questions that often okay. aren't all that rapid fire, but <laughs> we'll, <call them> that. <laughs> we'll stick with that anyways. So what is the what is the number one book you're reading today? Like if you had a book that you were either going to, that really had a big impact on you and or that you would share, what what book was that was kind of maybe even uh, a catalyst for choosing a different fork in the road? Whatever it might be. Do you have a book in mind that has done that for you, Kunal? The Millionaire Next Door, mm. which uh, definitely talks a lot about uh, the future estate planning and, you know, how to raise kids, right? And stuff yeah. like that. I'm a forward thinker. Um, I just I just like to know what the life would look like in the future. So I kind of do look for things like that and have conversations with people and see how, how to impact my kids. I mean, that's my big why is mm. how to impact my kids' journeys so they grow up to be successful on so the millionaire next door is definitely one of the ones that i have bought and have even you know given to people as gifts what are you reading today what's your most recent book miracle morning miracle morning it's, yes it's by hal Errold, elrod mm-hmm. and it's just amazing like he talks about savers so it's like uh, every morning you spend an hour to yourself and S is for silence, A is for affirmations, uh, V is for visualization, E is for exercise, and then R is for reading, and then S is for scribbling. So yes, it sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot. You can get it all done in an hour. <laughs> I should have wrote a book because, you know, I've been doing that for so many years, I've lost track. Really? And wow. I've never called it savers. I, I, I've always been a morning, uh, morning person, and anybody who listens to the show was probably tired of me saying that, but I'm just wired <laughs> that way. But the point is, is that for me, uh, I learned many, many years ago that those, and I'm, I'm a bitch around it. Like I get up at five, five thirty, and that's my time. Leave me the hell alone. So good, you know. And I'm yeah. blessed because Stephanie, my wife, is is not that morning person, and um, she gets up later than I do. And but even if she gets up at the same time I do, she just lets me go do my thing, and she knows that I'm doing all the things I do. So. Is that a practice of yours? Is your morning practice or now you've got 
a couple kids. So are you up before the kids? Do you try and get up before the kids? How do you, how do you kind of make that fit in your schedule? Because that's a common excuse. I can't do that in the morning because I have my kids. I got my kids. So what, what's your experience with it? It's definitely a struggle. I'm not a morning person, mm-hmm. but I'm becoming to be. And goes back to what you always say. You have to become that person who can attract the success. Mm-hmm. So I'll do what it takes to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those things which I will do, even though it's hard for me and I am working towards it. So now it's a morning routine. I wake up at five and, you know, do my morning routine from five to six. And, um, you know, then it's time to wake up the kids and well, wake up one of the kids. The other one is just too small yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, get her ready and drop her to school and things like that. Do you try and squeeze in some exercise? You know, like Robin Sharma, there's lots of strategies out there, lots of things. You know, he's, I think he's, uh, I can't remember, it's the 5 a.m. club or something. He wrote a book on it and he got the 2020 rule where it's 20 minutes of, you know, meditation, 20 minutes of reading or writing and or writing. Mm-hmm and 20 minutes of exercise. So it's like really just being efficient. Like it's, you've got an hour, make it like be intense about it, be intentional about it. Is that kind of along the lines of what you're trying to do? Are you, are you journaling? Are you reading? Do you, are you a meditation guy, exercise guy? What is it for you? All of All of the above. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. All of the above. (laughs) Because I guess, you know, going after the savers, I think I was doing the Tony Robbins priming um, even before I started reading the book, Miracle mm-hmm. Morning. Yeah. But I think um, uh, affirmations and um, exercise wasn't a part of it. And even reading uh, and scribbling wasn't a part of that uh, priming exercise. So what I've done is I've kind of you know combined the two. So when um, the Miracle Morning book talks about uh, silence, I basically do my meditation, which is the Tony Robbins meditation at the time. Because I get a lot of juice from it. That's my driver. That's my caffeine shot for the day. Yep. For the most part, I need it. I My body demands it. And I've seen myself go hit a low if I even don't do it for like two or three days in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can miss a couple of days here and there. But if I don't do it for like three consecutive days, I can start to feel something is missing. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm the same way. Like I, I have to write. I have to journal. I journal a lot. I journal longhand. I, uh, I even recently brought a writing tablet. I'm showing you my writing tablet that I'm making nice. notes here. It's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tablet called Remarkable ridiculously expensive. I put it off buying it for a couple of years. And, and now that I've bought it, I go, how did I not have this? Like, it's so good. Organize your notes, PDF them, send them to yourself, but you can't access the internet. You can send the email out, but you can't receive an email. It's focus. And I can organize all my, I can have a hundred notebooks all categorized here and cause I've got notebooks all over the place, you know, like my own personal journals, my, my business stuff that I make notes yeah, around yeah. <laughs> and it, now it's all in one little, very light tablet. And I'm going, holy crap. Uh, remarkable is remarkable for my experience. So, and I, I'm not endorsing it by the way, I don't get paid for that, but I, I definitely took it book. down. Yeah. I want to look into it. <laughs> it's very, very cool. There goes the rapid fire right there because I digress so quickly. Okay, here we go. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Winners are not quitters and quitters don't win. Mm, good one. I haven't heard that one for a long, long time. If you weren't a pharmacist, is there another profession you'd uh, take on? Uh, maybe a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. 
your world, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? You touched a lot of lives. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? I'd say I'm like an eight. Yeah, you think you're that high? Yeah. 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 You don't show up as an, an eight to no. me, but what do I know? What are you not very good at, but you keep trying to do it anyways? Like me, it's my calendar, you know? For me, it's uh, graphic. Uh, like even if it is like putting text on an image, I suck at it. But I, I don't know why, but I keep spending time on it. <laughs> now you're a bit of a so you seem to be a bit of a social media guy. Like are you you seem you you're or you're not not really. I want to be. I would say <laughs> I am <laughs> again one of those things that I'm constantly working towards. Yeah. Um, I feel there's a lot of power in it. So again, one of the things that I'm working towards. I'm not where I want to be. I should say. Got it. Room desk or your car? Good old. What do you clean first? Desk 100% can't function without having a clean, organized desk. <laughs> okay. Do you have a favorite tune? One of the anchors, like I would say, like since attending Tony Robbins has been um, Life Will Never Be the Same Again. It's a uh, Hadaway tune from the 90s. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't know how popular it was or whatever, but I know it's a strong anchor for me um, because it takes me back to the, you know, room with, I believe, or 10,000 people in that big auditorium. Wow. I went for that Unleash the Power Within event. Where was it? And it's, it was in New York. It's a seven-day event, isn't it? No, this one is just uh, four days. Four days. Does yeah, he do a seven-day event? He, for some I reason, I think know. he, he does did. a bunch of them, like yeah, Date with I know Destiny. He does so many. Yeah, yeah Date yeah. with Destiny yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. Business Mastery, which, by the way, is also um, one of my, you know, next things I want to do within probably, uh, I think it'll be early 2021 yep. business mastery. I mm-hmm. just want to be ready. for. I've it. not done a Tony Robbins thing. I've read a lot of his stuff and I've listened to some of his stuff, but I've not been to one of his events. I've had lots of conversations, but it's showing up for me. So I need to do one. Do you have a favorite movie? Uh, Pursuit of Happiness. That was a good movie. Yes. Will Smith. Yes. Favorite swear word. Definitely the F word, but you wouldn't, See me, no, hear I don't, me swearing. I don't no, no, no. I actually not, thought not, you were gonna. I thought you were gonna be one of those guests that go. I don't swear. I go. Ah, <laughs> fuck. Are you kidding me? You don't. You, you've got too good of a. You know, too strong a command of the English language. I, on the other hand, yeah. Sorry. I. I yeah. I, it's not that way. So yeah, it doesn't show up for me that you would do that, but uh, I get it. And what are you grateful for today, my friend? I'm grateful for my family, my wife and daughters. I'm super grateful for the community. I think I've built everything I have from support and collaboration from the community. So again, going back to my earlier comment about the abundance mindset. So I'm super grateful for folks who have it and not just they have it, they've helped me develop mine. So I have the abundance mindset. I don't hold anything back. If you know anybody were to come to talk to me and they're willing to learn, they're willing to take what I tell them, I would tell them everything, everything I got. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I am grateful for having you on the show today, for having the opportunity to get to know you better and uh, for having you part of the rain community, of course, but also for what you shared today and lots of really, really great insights. And, um, I'm also grateful today for 
being born and raised in Canada, I'm reminded as I came to the poolside studios, I walked outside, the air is fresh and it's a brisk, uh, clean morning and I loved it and uh, lots of gratitude for that. So Kunal, thank you so much for joining me on The Everyday Millionaire. Thank you so, so much, Patrick. It's been a true honor. I'm a huge fan of your show, so it's a, it's a true honor to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you were. Thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.